welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Uh, but if we haven't met, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we're starting a brand new series for the next four weeks here. Uh, we're starting it today called Gifted, which is about the spiritual gifts, which I'll get into. If you've never heard that before, if that's something new to you, we will talk through what that means. But I'm excited because as Christina was mentioning, there are people who are sending out, important people we're sending out, and there are needs in our church where we need people to step in and have the gifts that God has given them to step into that new life. So a lot to unpack today. Are you ready to go? Okay, amazing. Yes, let me pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, We need your help, and we are not so proud to think we can storm through this message by ourselves. We are not so proud to think we can even read this text we're about to read and even understand what it means for our lives. So, we humble ourselves before your Holy Spirit. We submit our minds and our hearts to you so that we might learn your word from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Last week, I was in Los Angeles. My brother lives there, and sometimes my wife and I, like, we like to go down there, visit my brother, his wife, see the city of Los Angeles. For all the criticisms you can give about that city, its air quality, its propensity to shake, um, <laughs> you, you've got to love the culture that's down there. It's filled with incredible uh, vibrancy between the entertainment industry and the music scene and the art scene down there. And my brother's really involved in some of the film stuff down there. And um, so he always knows kind of what's going on. And I really love going to comedy shows. And so we go to some of those clubs at night. And we went on a Monday night last week. And um, as I was preparing this sermon, I was like kind of thinking about, you know, giftedness, all this stuff. And we just go to these clubs, because some of these are legendary, and some of the greats kind of drop in. But then sometimes the greats do not drop in, and you are stuck with the local talent um, who's trying to make it in the big city. And uh, if there's ever a city to crush your dreams, Los Angeles is it. <laughs> and I just watched some of these performers, and I, I felt really sorry for them. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been and seen some of somebody performing and you're like, dude, keep that day job, bro. Like, I don't know how much Uber you're driving, but drive more. You know, and I just had one of those moments where I was like, you know, maybe it's time for some of these people to, to, to set the mic down. But it did make me think, you know, as I was preparing this message, I was in Los Angeles watching some of these performers. I was like, man, it, there is something in all of us where we want to find out what we're good at. And not only do we want to find out what we're good at, but beyond that, there's something in us that we want to contribute something to some space. You know, it it may not be comedy. It may not be the entertainment industry. It it might be in the medical field. It might be in the tech industry. It might be in law or politics. But we want to do something. We want to have something in us that we can give this world that this world could benefit from. And all of us desire in some way to be really gifted it's actually a beautiful gift of the scriptures that they, they give us this language for this exact desire. 
this desire to contribute something to someone that they need that's beyond their own doing and beyond even your own doing. And that word is this, idea, is this word gifts, gifts. Uh, the biblical term, right, the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in Koine Greek, the classic Greek language. In the original Greek language, the word is charisma or charismata, where we get our word charisma. We usually talk about a certain personality trait that illuminates a room or brightens up a space, so it's somebody who has charisma. And yet, uh, in the New Testament, that word literally just means a spiritual kind of gift, a gift from God. But it's interesting, that word charisma is, is in the same word group as a word charis, which is the Greek word for grace, unmerited favor. So there's this interplay in the New Testament between the word that within that one word, charisma or charismata, is this idea that the gifts that are given to you and to me are given from outside of us by God, and they're also given to us freely, unmeritedly meaning you don't earn it or you don't deserve it. You're, you haven't worked for it, but God has graciously given to you. That's the relationship between grace and gift. There's a spiritual sense that it's gifted to you and gifted for you generously by God. In, in other words, the gifts given to you can be used in spite of you, in spite of your own like you know, pride or your own uh, arrogance or your own, right? In spite of you, the gift can still be used. And for the next four weeks, we're going to look at what this charisma is, what this charismata is, this idea of a spiritual gift. If I could define them for you at the, at the outset, it'd be this. The spiritual gift or the charismata, or there's another word for it we're going to look at a little bit later, is the spirit of God animating the talents and abilities of a particular person in a particular time, in a particular place, to build someone else up. I'll repeat that. It's the Spirit of God animating the talents and abilities of a particular person in a particular time, in a particular place, to build somebody else up. These are often misunderstood, spiritual gifts. It's a very misunderstood category. If you're not a Christian, you have no baggage with spiritual gifts, I envy you. Uh, If you are a Christian, you probably have some type of baggage around this language. So let me throw up this slide that has kind of the gifts understood and misunderstood. So the spiritual gifts misunderstood are often seen as superpowers that make you exceptional for a lifetime to benefit your faith. They're superpowers that make you exceptional for a lifetime to benefit your faith. Okay, superpowers meaning we don't care who they're from, we just care that we have them, and it makes us exceptional. It makes us our unique little snowflake. We are an incredible person because of the gift that's been given to us, and we have it for life. So if you're able to teach, you can teach your whole life. If you're able to lead, you can lead your whole life. And if you all of a sudden have one moment of wisdom and you're gifted with it, you just, boom, I've got the spiritual gift of wisdom. Now listen to me for the rest of my life. Listen up, because I have that gift. And it's all to benefit your faith. It's all about you. It's all about benefiting who you are. It's about promoting you in the church. It's about promoting you in your workspace, whatever. And the spiritual gifts are these superpowers that make you exceptional for a lifetime to benefit your faith. But actually, rightly understood, you can see in the right-hand column, it's actually the Spirit's power. The emphasis we're going to look at is that it's actually the, the, not the gifts that are the emphasis, but the Spirit who gives the gifts that's the, benef- that's the emphasis. Working in and through you for a time in your life, now that could be 35 minutes or it could be 35 years. It could be a long time, it could be a short time. But it's working, the Spirit is working through you for a time in your life to benefit others. In other words, this, I'd like you to think of the spiritual gifts as working through you as a conduit 
Again, the gifts work in spite of you, not because of you. The gifts, it's almost like you're a hose and the living water is just rolling through you. But there's nothing special about the hose. There's nothing special about the conduit. There's something special about the water. There's something special about that which moves through you. And it's the Spirit's power working in you and through you for a time in your life to benefit other people. And you know, there was a church in the ancient, ancient time at the beginning of the Christian movement that was really struggling with this. That was really confused by these spiritual gifts. And that was the church in Corinth. And so if you have, if you have a Bible, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's this famous passage Paul writes... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to a church confused by these spiritual gifts, by this charismata, the other word being the pneumaticos, which we'll look at in a second, this, these Greek words that were very confusing. There was stuff happening in their church that they were confused by, uninformed about, and Paul writes to them in this letter to say, I want to inform you. Look at this, 12 verse 1. Now, concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that you were pagans, that, or sorry, that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In this passage, Paul helps inform us about spiritual gifts. And we're going to start this series by just having a frame. And I want you to use this frame for the next four weeks. You're going to hear from Dr. Charlie Self. You're going to hear from Jess Sembatu. You're going to hear from myself on different gifts, varieties of gifts and how we are to use them, but today I want to set the frame. I want you to get a level of understanding around which we can explore the rest of the gifts. And in order to do that, I'm just going to take Paul's language here in chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, to give you four thoughts. The first is this. Paul says that spiritual gifts link us to the story and work of Jesus. The spiritual gifts link us to the story and work of Jesus. You'll actually notice in that beginning of that passage that we just looked at, it's in your bulletin as well, or you can refer to it in your, in your Bible, that Paul says in verse 2 and 3, this kind of weird idea around their identity in Christ. He says, I want you to understand that no one, no one is ever speaking in the Spirit who says that Jesus is accursed. But likewise, no one can say Jesus is Lord, or maybe modern translation, right? I'm a Christian. No one can make the profession of faith without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's plain and simple. There are no Christians without the Holy Spirit. And likewise, there is no Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence in your life. The Spirit is not different from God. The Spirit is is God. The Spirit is not an ethereal being or a force like Star Wars. The Spirit is a person, the God of Israel in his triune nature, empowering you as a believer. 
If you say Jesus is Lord, you have said that confession in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are living the Christian life, you are living it by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, oftentimes the New Testament, did you know this, refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus or the Spirit of God our Father. Why? Because they're one and the same. We worship a triune God. The expression of that triune God, the animation of that triune God in your life is what the New Testament requires and calls the Holy Spirit. That empowering presence that guides your life is essential, and it links you to who Jesus Christ is. You see, this means that Christians are not spiritual people. We are not spiritual people. We're people of the Spirit. Singular. Capital. You see, there's a lot of spiritual things that the New Testament tells us to not be interested in. (laughs) Do Do you see what I'm saying? You see, I think a lot of modern Christians, particularly in California, really want to be spiritual people. But the New Testament would be actually wary of a lot of spiritual activity. The New Testament would warn you against a lot of what things are spiritual. Ah, no, the New Testament Christians were not spiritual people. They were people of the Spirit. There are a lot of spirits. But there is one who reigns, one who is the triune God, who empowers your life, who offers you the confession, Jesus is Lord. Not everything that's spiritual is good. There's a lot of you that... You tap into and, and kind of dip into all different types of spiritualities. It can be dangerous. And, and the New Testament warns against that, saying, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you've got to say, Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? That he's master, that he's king, that he's singular, that he's exclusive. He's my only God. I don't, I don't tap into all these other spiritualities. The Christians are people of the Spirit of God. You know, we say at Awakening, our vision at Awakening is to awaken to new life in Jesus Christ. Awaken this generation to new life in Jesus Christ. What is that new life? The new life is the life in the spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ empowering you to live. Let me show you how this links you to Jesus' work and makes you a Christian. You know, when Jesus died, he rose from the dead in glory. And when he rose, he met his apostles And that transition of like raising and meeting his apostles actually happens at the tail end of the book of Luke and the beginning of the book of Acts. Both of those books were written by the same person, Luke, who was a physician, who made it his purpose to almost be this investigative journalist behind the story of Jesus. He wrote one book in two volumes, Luke and Acts. In fact, the scholarship around Luke-Acts is called Luke-Acts Scholarship because you can't take one book without the other. If you're in your Bible, you can go to the right. You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Sorry, go to the left. And you'll find yourself in the book of Acts after just going a couple of uh, passages over. Go to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, this is what uh, Luke says. He says, in the first book, which is called Luke, okay? O Theophilus, this was a benefactor who would help publish his work and spread it across different languages. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Mark that, if you've got a Bible open. All that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words... Luke is saying, I told you about what Jesus did. I'm going to tell you about the apostles who continue his story, who continue what he said. And look at verse 2. Until the day he was taken up and had given, look at this, commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus lives his life in the way that he lives his life. And he gives the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And they're going to continue the story. Skip down to verse Five, for John baptized, Jesus saying to his apostles, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse six, now they'd all come together. 
They asked him, Lord, will you not this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I don't got time to go into all that. But basically, they were expecting Jesus to be somebody he was not, a political leader. They're like, is this your time, political leader? And he says this, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You don't got to know the plans and the times and the seasons. Don't try to get into that guessing game of knowing what God's going to do. Instead, be filled with the power that is available to you now. Instead, be filled with that which you are offered by the living God, which is his spirit imparted into you. And the rest of Acts, it's very interesting, is the church, regular people, fishermen, uneducated, doing the same things Jesus did in the book of Luke. In fact, here's a cool Bible study for you. It's very simple. Just read the book of Luke as you read the book of Acts. Read Luke 1, then read Acts 1. Read Luke 2, then read Acts chapter 2. And you'll see what Luke is trying to do as an author. He's trying to show you that the same things Jesus did, the apostles do. See, we have really shallow theology sometimes where we say Jesus did all of these things, quote unquote, because he was Jesus, right? Why did he heal people? Well, he was Jesus. Why did he teach with such authority? Well, he was Jesus. But really when Luke writes about Jesus, you'll notice Jesus lays his divine rights down, Philippians chapter 2, that actually though he had the rights as God, he decided not to use them. Instead, what he did was be, as, and this is Luke's language, all throughout his gospel, all throughout John's gospel, Mark's as well, Matthew, that Jesus did the things he did because he was, quote, filled with the Spirit, not, quote, because he was Jesus. So, you read the book of Acts and you realize, oh, Jesus healed people. Then you read the book of Acts and you're like, the apostles are healing people. Then you read Luke and you're like, Jesus taught with tremendous authority that people were amazed by. The apostles are teaching with authority that people are amazed by. Jesus raises people from the dead. The apostles raise people from the dead. It seems as though the rhetorical argument and the structures of these two books is that what Jesus did is available to us. That the same things that Jesus did, we also can do. Whatever Jesus did, the apostles do. Whatever Jesus did, you can do through the power of the Spirit. Don't believe me? Romans chapter 8, verse 9. This is where Paul is reflecting on this theology I'm teaching you right now. You, however, it's writing to Christians, you are not in the flesh. The word for flesh is flesh. <laughs> it's sarks. It literally means skin. You're, you're not your skin. When your body dies, that's why Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body. Don't be afraid of that. It's just skin. That's not you. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Very important caveat. Some of y'all show up to church, but you're not full of the spirit. Some of you come to church and you don't, you don't know God. And Paul says, when you say Jesus is Lord, you're filled with the spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit in your life? If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, there's that word, right? Same God. One God. Spirit of Christ, spirit of God the Holy Spirit, it's a person, not a force. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Look at this. But if Christ is in you, 
If you've become a Christian, although the body is dead because of, sp- of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Just keep that scripture up there. Are you understanding the implications of this theology? This is very important. Paul is saying, look at verse 11. The same spirit that brought Jesus up from the grave is dwelling in you if you're a Christian. Yeah, it's incredible. Yes, it's worth applause. I mean, not because of what I said, but because of that reality. Jesus didn't raise from the grave because he was Jesus. Jesus rose from the grave because the Holy Spirit of God raised him up. And so, my friends, are you aware of the life that you're living as a Christian? We walk around with our phones, open our homes, eat dinner, watch television, walk through the Silicon Valley, enjoy life in California. Do we know the power that's available to us? Because this is an astonishing reality. This is why Paul, if you flip back, you're in Acts 1, right? Go back to 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, this is why Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. This is a very important thing to be informed about. Chapter 12, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be... Uh, I do not want you to be uninformed. This is an essential part of Christian life because it links you to Christian life. This is the Christian life. To be full of the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to know the Holy Spirit, to be gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is it. If you don't know this, today's your day to step in to a powerful life. Paul doesn't want you to be uninformed about the spiritual gifts because namely, second thought is this. Spiritual gifts are not about the gifts, but the spirit. They're they're not, see, we want to make it about the gifts. What am I good at, right? Like I said, that's, that's in us. We want something to be good at. But Paul is going to, before he gets there, again, we're setting the frame today. Before we get into the particular gifts, we must understand that it's actually not primarily about the gifts. It's about knowing the Spirit. Let me, let me show you this. See, when you read this in the original languages in the Greek, it, there are no words for spiritual gifts. We made those up. Here's what I mean. The word there is not the charisma, uh, the charisma word I was talking about, the charismata. It's actually this word pneumaticos, which is another way to talk about the Spirit. The word for gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, is not there. There's a great word for spiritual. There's a great word for gift. Those words in your New Testament never go together. Gifts, all the time. Spiritual, all the time. On their own, separated. But there's this one word that's translated spiritual gifts by English translators that is just our best guess at it because here's the raw translation of it with the word pneumaticos. It would basically be like this. Chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, it would really say now concerning the spirituals. That doesn't really make sense in English. But the word gift isn't even in there. Paul is not primarily concerned about the gifts. He's primarily concerned about this, and you can write this down. What does the Spirit do? 
What does the spirit do? The pneumaticos, pneuma is the word for spirit. Pneumaticos is like the spiritual stuff, the stuff the spirit does. What is the spirit up to? What is the spirit doing in your life? See, some of you have experienced this. Some of you have experienced the spirit of God, something he's done. He's given you a word of knowledge to someone that you've had to speak. You're like, I just, I feel like I need to say this to you. Some, some of you have been given a gift for a second of prophecy, right? And all of a sudden, God gives you a word to say to someone that's his word, and you just say, I think I need to say this. Some of you have been filled with faith. All of a sudden, everyone is, everyone is counting, counting out. Everybody's counting God out. Everybody's tapping out. They're done. But you aren't. And you're like, guys, we need to keep praying. And you've been filled with the spiritual gift of faith. You've experienced the pneumaticos. You've experienced what we call spiritual gifts, but Paul just called the stuff the Spirit's doing. The stuff the Spirit's up to. What is the Spirit doing? I know that's not as academic or as churchy or anything like that, but if you look at the original language, the translation is really, I don't want you to be informed about the stuff the Spirit's doing. Not about, I don't want you to be informed about, spiritual gifts has so much baggage, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Gifts, again, is in verse 4. There are varieties of gifts. There's other places in your New Testament, namely one other, where Paul uses this word pneumaticos. But other than that, there's no place, there's a perfectly good word for spiritual, perfectly good word for gifts. There's no place in the New Testament where both of those Greek words are put together. We put those together. Why? Well, because we're trying to explain something. I'm not saying you, you know, now you're like, I can't ever say spiritual gifts. No, we're going to say it all the time through this next three weeks. Chill. We're not fundamentalists. It's the beauty of not being a fundamentalist. Um, And yet, I don't want you to miss the point. Paul, Paul was not obsessed with the gifts. Paul was obsessed with the activity of the Spirit. And the activity of the Spirit is what we need to pay attention to. Because look at, in verses 4 through 6, if you're looking at your Bible or if you're looking at the bulletin, verses 4 through 6, it says this. There are different gifts, the same Spirit, but the same Lord, the same God who empowers them all. What's repeated the most? Same God, same Spirit, same Lord. It's like Paul's trying to drive you back Stop thinking about the gifts. Think about the Spirit. Stop thinking about what are you good at, what are you bad at. Start knowing God in His Spirit. Because throughout this whole chapter, it seems like this. The unity of the one Spirit outweighs the diversity of the various gifts. Okay? The unity of the one Spirit will outweigh the diversity of the gift. Having said that, And making sure we know that with clarity. Number three, there are varieties. The spiritual gifts have varieties, many varieties. And we don't have a ton of time to get into this today, but I have to bring it up because Paul brings it up. In verse four, he's like, there are a variety of gifts. There are varieties of service and varieties of activities. In the next two weeks, we will talk about the varieties in particular. The list given in, so you're in, we're going through seven, verses eight through 11 are some of the examples of the varieties. Now, I got to tell you this right off the outset. Because Paul is writing a letter, he's not writing exhaustively about these things. In fact, people have tried to box in the Spirit by just naming the gifts that only the Bible names. But then there's other places in the Bible where, like, I'll give you an example. There's no place in here where Paul goes, the gift of raising the dead. (laughs) It's not like a gift there. But it happens in the New Testament, and it happens today. These are things that happen. Again, here's what I'm saying. It's not about the gifts. It's about what is the Spirit doing? 
what is the Spirit up to? And so Paul is going to give this list and this variety, but it's not exhaustive. It's not comprehensive. He's going to talk about prophecy, wisdom, knowledge. Again, we'll get to these things. Healing, faith, faith, service, generosity, hospitality. But that's not all the stuff the Spirit's up to. Nor should we, we got to be really careful to box it in and to like woodenly define it as like this is this and this isn't this. I don't think that's what Paul's doing. It's like he's just giving a list. He's like, you know the stuff the Spirit does. This, 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 right? He's just like throwing some things out there. But there are the varieties. I think Paul would kind of break it down into three different varieties. First is the variety of type. Variety of type. In fact, in another letter, Romans 12, this is a better example. He says this in Romans 12, verse 4. There's a variety of type. For as in one body we are many members... Five, so we, verse five, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, again, the emphasis on the unity, and individually members of it. Now look at six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he just kind of throws out a couple of examples. Again, not exhaustive, not the only thing the Spirit does, just some things he's seen the Spirit do. Exhortation, contributions financially, leadership, teaching, service, faith. He's just throwing out these things, and he's like, look, if God has gifted you with one of these varieties, you better use them because we're in a body here, and not everybody's going to have what you're able to do. Not everyone's filled with faith when you're filled with faith. Not everyone uh, has wisdom the way that God has gifted you with wisdom, and so you've got to use it because someone in your small group, someone in your church needs wisdom. Some of you guys are rich, Some of you guys have a lot of money, and God has gifted you with the ability to contribute generosity to people like Kedrick and Reagan that are going into crew, or our crew interns, or Gabe and Jess, or to this church. You better do that because there's some of y'all that are super poor. You don't got no money. You're like, I'm giving my tithe, but it's $1.80 this week, dude, because I'm not getting paid right now. Yeah. We all need the gifts of the people in the body. Because here's the deal. Through all of us, not one, God through his spirit will build his church. Not through just you, not through just me. It's going to have to be through us. Variety of type, there's also a variety of place. Like he says, variety of gifts, of service, and he says varieties of various activities. In chapter 12, verse 5. Different activities. See, here's what I've learned being a pastor. You can... You can have the right gift in the wrong place, right? And Paul talks about this. Like, some of you are gifted with hospitality, but you don't, you don't have a home. <laughs> You're like, I'm still living with mom and dad, you know? Some of you have the gift of hospitality, but, you know, I remember Allie and I, I think that's one of the things we'd like to see the Spirit do with us is open our home with hospitality. It was a long time we were living in a one bedroom. It was, it was tight, right? <laughs> it's like max of six people. And even then, two are on the floor. You know, it's like, can you eat dinner on the floor with the dog? Cool. Okay. Um, Yeah. There's a level where that expression might not be in the right place. But that doesn't mean you don't use it. Why don't you use it in the church? If you don't have your home, why don't you use it here? Serve on our cafe team. Why don't you use it in set up and tear down? You have the gift of hospitality and you need to use it in the right place. And there's also a variety of time. So a variety of type, a variety of place, and a variety of time. See, here's a misconception that I was giving you at the start of this message. 
you are not guaranteed a spiritual gift for your life. This is what I mean. When we emphasize the gift, we think that is something that's been deposited in me that I have for my whole life. But actually, if it's about the spirit and the spirit doing the stuff through us, you might have that gift for a little while, but you might also not have it after a little while. This is what I mean. If you think you have the wisdom, uh, gift of wisdom and discernment, the ability to discern what is right and wrong, and God used you in particular moments early in your life, you don't get to walk into every room and just be the discernment guy. Because the spirit opposes the proud, but gives grace to those who are humble. So you actually have to position yourself in humility constantly to receive God's wisdom to speak to other people. Likewise with prophecy. God uses you one time in a prophetic way, gives you a word, you speak it to someone, so how'd you know that? This incredible moment, right? And then you're like, I'm kind of the prophecy guy. <laughs> and you walk around telling everybody what God says to them. And they're like, I don't think that's God, dude. Like, yeah, you're not guaranteed that. The minute you have entitlement with the gifts, you don't know the spirit. When you know the spirit, when you know the Holy Spirit in your life, then you start to operate as such. You know, I, I had to learn this the hard way as a teacher. I don't have the gift of teaching and then automatically get to just teach people and it be effective. Because I tried that, it doesn't work. Get on a stage, start talking all smart, thinking people are going to be blown away. And it's just not full of the Holy Spirit. I got advice like a long time ago. Before you go preach, pray yourself hot. Like pray yourself up. Because for me to think that I could just get up here and out of my own flesh and mind present to you doctrinal truths and it change your life, I wouldn't even be reading the New Testament. That's not how it works. Instead, submitting the gift of teaching every week, every class, every moment, that's why we pray. That's why we pray before the sermon. We're like, God, help. Spirit, do the stuff you do. Now just, could you do it through me today? Because I kind of have the notes and I've got the mic. So please help. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, how, that's how it needs to, to work, right? So now, don't get me wrong. I think as you submit in humility to the Holy Spirit, you could be prophetic your whole life. You could be filled with faith your whole life. I'm just saying, just because you were given it once, don't work into it an entitlement where that's your thing everywhere you go. And you have the entitlement to step into every space and teach. You have the entitlement to step in every space and you know, uh, do this or do that prophecy or knowledge, right? It tends to be some of those more miraculous gifts people tend to twist. Yeah. And that's where many people have been hurt. And perhaps you have been hurt by someone who has been entitled to the gift. And I want to tell you today, that is not of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is a Spirit of freedom. The Spirit of God is always pointing to Jesus. The Spirit of God is the Spirit who leads you into all truth. These are scriptures, theology of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God animates you. Now, likewise, look, just because something isn't your primary gift, see, this, this, this is where it could be a time in your life kind of thing. If you think you've given, been given like top three gifts, you've got these three gifts and they're given to you for the rest of your life, you'll never explore the other ones. This is why the spiritual gift tests are very tricky to me. This is why I'm not giving you an exhaustive list of the gifts and it's why I'm not telling you to go take a spiritual gifts test. Although if you want to, knock yourself out. I'm just telling you I find them sometimes helpful and sometimes unhelpful. Here's why. When I take the spiritual gifts test, which I've taken many times over my life, do you know what I score lowest on? 
mercy. <laughs> Doesn't that suck? <laughs> I score lowest on mercy. My wife scores highest on mercy. Now, here's what I'm saying. Because I scored on some arbitrary test, low on mercy, does that get me out from under, experience the spirit of God in mercy and giving it to other people? No. Why, Why would it? It's like we were loading a truck one time when I was working in the inner city, you know? Loading a truck, very simple. This guy walks by from my ministry. I'm like, hey, bro, can you help us load this truck? He says, sorry, dude, it's not my gift, bro. <laughs> He's like, I, score, I scored super low on service. I'm like, get up here, you know? Like, <laughs> just because you think that's not your gift, that does not mean you do it. This is how simple it is. Some of you don't even know you're gifted in these things because you haven't even done them. You haven't even, we have needs at this church Christina just talked about. Cafe, set up, tear down. We have needs. If you never do them, you'll never know the spirit of God gifting you in it. We think we need to have some type of superpower to set up curtains. No, you're kidding me. No, we come in and we set up curtains and we set up chairs and we experience the spirit. That's how it works. You don't wake up one day and get inspired by an ethereal force. You roll up your sleeves, you serve the church, you experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, everybody on that team will tell you, worship is different when you've set up a chair. Because you know you set up the space that can, this can happen in. And you feel a part of it. And you are feeling the pneumaticos, the things the Spirit of God is doing. Oh, Lord, help me. I'm out of time. Okay. Um, let, me, let me close with this thought. Spiritual gifts are expressly for and about others. Some of you have not experienced the Spirit of God and His work through you because you have made it about yourself. You've been thinking like, man, I need, what's, what's for me? What's in it for me? But it needs to be expressly about others. And God will work through you in that. 13 years ago, I was with my wife in the South, and uh, we were in like Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. It was a year after Hurricane Katrina, and we were helping the disaster relief down there for like a month. A group from my church was there, and we were gathering in worship one night, and there's this younger kid. I was probably 18 or 19. This kid was probably like 14. And God was working in his life. He was becoming Christian, becoming feel, filled with the Spirit of God. It was, something was happening in this guy's life. And one night during worship, he, he just, you know, it was really hot. It was the summer in Louisiana. It was crazy. And he, he got this massive, like, beyond rash on his leg, like this, and it was, like, debilitating. And he was starting to complain that it was like his leg was going numb and he was like crying hysterically, all this stuff. And he goes into the bathroom and he, and he comes out and he's like distraught beyond belief. And he's like crying and snot's running out of his nose, man. He starts telling us that he's seeing these dark things, like these crazy things. And so the worship gathering kind of like moves and we start to pray for him. And we're like, hey, let's, let's pray for this guy. We don't know really what's going on. And I don't know where you stand today or what you believe. But there was an element of this that was like physical and there was an element of this that was spiritual. 
And so we start praying for this guy, and, um, and as we stop kind of like winding down praying, he's still in pain, he's still distraught. And one of the leaders, he was like 35, right? I'm 18 or 19 at the time. One of the leaders was like, all right, I'm taking this kid to the hospital. And I used to say, or at the moment, I was like, I don't know what came over me, but now I do. <laughs> you know, like the spirit of God came over me in that moment. And I just looked at this like leader, 35-year-old guy. I'm like, dude, we're not done yet. Like, we're not taking him to the hospital yet. We need to keep praying for him. And I was just filled with like faith, basically, to pray that God would heal this young guy. And, uh, and we kept praying and we kept kind of pressing in and praying and, and the spirit of God, as we prayed, slowly healed this young guy and his entire rash and leg pain was gone and then uh, he was completely like restored to sanity, so to speak, right? And I tell you this story because that was one of the first times, like before then, you know, I grew up, I grew up, I didn't grow up charismatic, I grew up Catholic, I grew up in like pretty conservative churches once I became a Christian. And when I kind of showed up to that moment and saw what the Spirit of God could do, it kind of changed me a little bit. Well, a lot. And here's my point in telling you this story, is that some of you have not stepped into the life that the Spirit is doing. And you've just kind of stepped into the life you're doing and gotten a little bit of the Spirit. But just because that moment happened in my life, I started to realize there are a lot of moments God wants to gift me with faith and I just need to be ready for it. And God wants to gift people with healing and I've got to be ready for it. But here's what I'm also saying. I don't walk around healing people. I've prayed for a lot of people that have died and I don't walk around all the time filled with faith. There's times where my community group needs to give the faith to me. I don't have the moment where I stand up and talk to the guy and go, hey man, I don't think we're done here. Like, I, I instead have other people say that to me. That's how the Spirit works, is sometimes you're the one with the gift, and sometimes you're the recipient of it. And one of the best things you can learn as we start this series is to simply step into that activity of the Holy Spirit in some way of knowing where God is, what God is doing. In three weeks, we're going to have a ministry fair where all of our stuff and all of our ministries are going to be out there. But if you feel like you need to step into God's work in this church and you feel like you're gifted in some way and you want to step in in some way, just write it on your black card. Because at the end of the day, God is up to stuff in this church. And we need this in our church. We need you to step into the life of the Holy Spirit. And so, do you desire the Spirit of God? Where and what are your gifts? And where is the need? And where is God working? Ask these questions as you worship now. Consider. I think some of you need to go to these prayer stations right here and in the back to seek the Holy Spirit. And so let me pray for us now that God and his Holy Spirit would work. God, we need you. We need your spirit. We need your life in this space. And so, Lord, I ask as we worship would you, God, show us your nature and your character? God, we are not people who are gifted, but we're people who are recipients of your gifts. 
And so I ask you to work mightily now in us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.